everybody, and welcome to Wake Up and Grow. I am your host, Natalie Bittinger, and today's episode is titled Fruit, and I'm going to be focusing on uh, the fruits, or sorry, the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, 22 to, through 23. Let me go ahead and read that. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Today's topic, like I said, is about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, specifically about us bearing fruit as Christians. So I absolutely love fruit. I will eat or try just about any kind of fruit, except for kiwi and coconut, which I have found out that I'm allergic to, which is very, very sad because I love kiwi. <laughs> um, but the thing about fruit is that fruit trees can only bear a single kind of fruit. And even when you cross-pollinate two different fruits, you can only produce one kind of fruit that is the hybrid of those two fruits. For example, if you cross-pollinate a banana and a mango, you will only produce the hybrid. You will not produce separate bananas and mangoes on the same tree. And this is simply because of the genetic genetics within the seed and the roots of the producing tree. Similarly, as Christians, we bear quote-unquote fruit. Obviously, we don't grow pears or cherries from our fingers or anything. That's, that's not what I mean. <laughs> but we produce characteristics that are considered to be trademarks of Christ or trademarks of a Christian. And for this episode, I would simply like to take you through each of those trademarks of Christ that are found here in Galatians 5 and kind of dissect them one by one and apply them to how we act. So, so the first one I'd like to point out is love. Now Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The term fruit is singular. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the following eight characteristics, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all a result of the overarching fruit of love specifically Christ-like love. And so Christ-like love is explained well in my opinion in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to turn there with me. So let's go ahead and read the entire chapter starting in verse 1. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I would like to kind of use this specific chapter of First Corinthians and out of all of the things about love within the Bible um, to talk about this fruit of the Spirit love. And so I'm kind of just going to go through the verses of chapter 13 and dissect those. So verses 1 through 3 inform us that love must be the intentions behind all of our actions. We can preach, prophesy, speak in faith, and sacrifice ourselves all we want. But if our actions are not done out of love, for those around us specifically, they are done without merit and purpose. Verses 4 through 7 describe what love is and what it is not. That's the love is patient and kind. Uh, it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So I think that's pretty cut and dry. <laughs> and obvious. Verses 8 through 13, I think, this is how Natalie interpreted it, but I believe that they describe how Jesus' love is eternal and that it triumphs over all things. So without this love we are living a partial life, a, a void life, if you want to call it that. We are missing something without Jesus' love in our life. And his love fills those empty spaces in our hearts and our souls 
that the things of this world could never come close to filling. And if you've ever sinned, which every human that has lived has, you you know that that sin that you were in, or maybe you're currently struggling in now, you know, you can feel that it will not fill you because you have to keep coming back to it and every time you leave after having committed that sin you you don't feel full whereas with the love of god yes you keep coming back to it but because you want more and because each time you not necessarily leave but each time that you go to him you feel full and so you want more because you don't ever want to run out of that so that was love second we've got joy I've probably stated this numerous times before I know at least once um in previous episodes but joy is a very interesting subject to me simply due to the fact that it is not an emotion but it is an attitude and there's there's a difference there and this it's an attitude that we are to have despite our circumstances instead of as a result of our circumstances And what I mean by that is, say for example, happiness, the, what a lot of people attribute to the chemical serotonin in our brains, is an emotion that is felt as a result of something happening to us, something good or something pleasurable. Joy there's no chemical in the brain for that and so on the other hand joy is an attitude or a mindset that we force ourselves to have that we choose to have joy and happiness are not the same thing and joy is something that we choose is a mindset that we choose to have despite the outcome of our circumstances, whether they're good or bad. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So our joy, this attitude that we are to have, that is found in God's presence. Now let me be very clear. Having joy, having this mindset of joy, does not mean that we are not experiencing sadness or the other negative emotions that we experience in life. That's not saying that we will never experience that or that we have to hide those emotions. That's very unhealthy. Do not do that. Um, 
or that they're going to disappear. That's not what having joy means. Having joy is it in Natalie's opinion very similar to having hope. You have something to look forward to. We have the promise that God will give us this joy, that God will give us the strength that we need for the moment. That he will be with us. And this is indicated in Psalm 30. The Bible app is acting up. Psalm 30 verse 5, which says, sorry, verse 5b. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Moving on to peace. Back in the Advent special I did for Christmas, I think it was part four. Yeah, part four, I talked about peace um, because that's kind of what like that last candle, other than the Christ candle, depending on the advent calendar you're looking at. That's kind of what that last candle represented. And I did, I tried to do my very best to explain peace. I find peace very hard to explain unless you've personally experienced it. But peace can be very hard to come by these days, especially right now with all that's going on in our world. But God's children, that's you and I, are to embody, receive, and give peace in this world. So I'm going to try to, again, <laughs> explain what peace from the Holy Spirit looks like. And I think there are a few verses throughout the Bible that do a much better job of explaining it than I could in my own words. So we will go through those. The first one is Psalm chapter 119 verse 165 which says Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So, those who trust in the word of God, those who follow the word of God, his law, they know truth. They know God's truth. And a lot of the times, what Satan will do to try and rob us of peace and try to get us uh, off track with God is he will whisper lies to us about ourselves, about God, about the church, about literally anything. But if we know the truth that's found in God's word, we can have peace in knowing that what Satan is telling us are lies.
next on the reference list is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. I had a whole episode really early on when I started this podcast about, kind of about this. So our mind, the brain, is one of the most attacked areas in our life by Satan. Because that's, simply that's just where we spend most of our time. It's we're in our own heads. And we... I'll kind of summarize that episode, but if you, if you want to hear the whole thing, please go back. It's called either Satan, Satan's Battleground, or The Devil's Battleground. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, we can starve ourselves of peace simply by thinking. about the things that are worrisome to us or cause us anxiety or by ignoring the peace that God is trying to instill in our minds. It. And so what this verse is saying is we can have mental peace if we continue to devote our thoughts and devote our mental efforts to what God is telling us and if we can fully trust him mentally and that can be very difficult I know from personal experience that mental peace can be very difficult to come by especially if you're anyone if you're any way like me I I'm in my head all the time I I think I over I overthink what I'm gonna wear in the morning. So it <laughs> overthinking something much more complicated than that is not a difficult task for me. But if I deliberately choose to ment- to pursue mental peace and to listen to the thoughts that God is implanting in my head versus the ones that I either conjure up on my own or the ones that Satan is putting in my head. I can find and keep that mental peace. So the next two references are in John. The first is John 14, verse 27. And this is Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, there is a difference between worldly peace and godly peace. And I find it difficult to difficult to explain in words. Um, but there... <laughs> There is a very obvious difference, at least to to me, 
as someone who has experienced both of those types of pieces. Um, I guess the best way that I can explain is that the piece that the world gives is kind of on a shaky foundation, as in it's very iffy and it doesn't last very long. Whereas the piece you get from God is a piece that I'm very sure of. It's a piece that I know is valid and isn't going to fail me. Alright, now moving on to John chapter 16. verse 33 the last verse in the chapter I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace but in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world this is one of my favorite verses I really like the whole chapter is very important it leads up to that last verse obviously um but it's one of my favorite verses and promises that jesus gives us because he's not disputing the fact and the truth that while we are alive on earth we will face issues and trials it's not going to be perfect and amazing every day but we can have peace in our horrible times in our bad times in knowing that that last sentence is true and that we can claim victory in that and that last sentence but take heart I have overcome the world. And again, that's Jesus talking. So this, this peace that comes out of the fruit of the spirit of love is also found when we obey God's will. Which shows us, or sorry, which is shown to us, his will, which is shown to us through the proddings of the Holy Spirit and through us reading his word. I don't know if any of you have ever been given instruction by God and tried to ignore it, but that is the most anxiety driving and fear inviting feeling you will ever have it is not having peace is just very destructive all right next up is patience 
Patience is one of the ones, or the aspects of the fruit of the spirit that I personally struggle with. In large part because people can get on my nerves very easily. I, <laughs> I like to think of myself as a very easygoing person, as someone who doesn't get angry easily. And I don't get angry very easily. I very rarely am I angry. But I can get frustrated and fed up with people very easy. Simply because I, my personality and the way I think and I gotta work on that. But if you're anything like me, then you understand that it can be very hard. However, as Christians, we are called to be different, like Christ. When Jesus was in the presence of Samaritans, uh, when he went to the see the woman at the well, this is, that's what I think of when I think of patience. I imagine this woman had a lot of questions for him that probably weren't recorded or that she had to have a lot of comments that weren't recorded um, simply because Jesus was a Jew, she was a Samaritan and history tells us that those two peoples did not get along. Like Jews avoided going through Samaria even though it was the shortest route to the next town or city. I don't remember what it was on the other side. But um, they would go out of their way to avoid each other. And whenever they were within each other's presence, it got kind of ugly. So I imagine there was some tension from this Samaritan woman. And obviously we know that there was some tension between Jesus and like the Pharisees and other um, religious leaders. But he was kind. And he showed patience towards them all. And he was patient with his disciples and the crowds he was teaching when they didn't understand his parable his parables or when they were confused as to why he was doing something or if they disagreed. He showed them patience. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law of the prophets. We need to show others patience. And we are also to be patient with God. Because his timing isn't always our timing. And his ways are not always our ways. It, this is specific in, within terms of answering our prayers or when we think certain things should happen or certain things should happen on a certain time within our life. 
we got to remember that God's timing and his ways are perfect. And our timing and our ways are human. <laughs> Not perfect. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. What might be the proper time in you and I's mind might not be the proper time in God's mind. He he is not limited by time. He is omnipresent. That means always present. And this includes physical boundaries as well as time boundaries. He is present in the present, <laughs> in the future and the past, all at the same time. So he knows what is best for us concerning our future. This is why we are not to lean on our own understanding, as the writer of Proverbs said. Alright, moving on to kindness. Kindness, similar to patience, can also be very hard at times, especially when others are not showing you kindness. I work in retail as a part-time cashier and stalker of goods at a store. And so let me tell you that I understand rude people. <laughs> I know what that's like to have someone be very rude and not show kindness towards you. And it is within our human nature to defend and protect ourselves from discomfort. We're a we are wired that way psychologically to protect ourselves and more often than not this protection includes social discomfort more than actual physical danger um because we're not like the other animals we're different we, we don't live in a society that's or in a we don't live like a herd of zebras where we're in constant danger of being eaten. So a lot of the times we are trying to defend ourselves from social discomfort. But it is to be our Christian nature versus our human nature to show kindness in the face of adversity. To not bristle and uh, bark. I don't know why I'm confused. I don't know why I'm comparing ourselves to a dog, but <laughs> it, we shouldn't bristle and get all defensive and ugh, angry <laughs> at every little discomfort we face socially. And this again goes back to loving both our neighbors, those who we consider uh, friendly or friends and our enemies as ourselves. Moving on to goodness. So when I think of goodness, and this is probably because 
my dad is a worship pastor, so music is everything in our house. So everything just about relates to a song. But the instant thought that comes up when I think of goodness is the song, The Goodness of God. And how we are so undeserving of all of the good things he has done on our behalf. Which he only does good things on our behalf. He withholds no good thing from his children. But when you think of someone who you would describe as a good person or someone of good character, what do you think of? Why are they good? What makes them have a quote-unquote good character? Well, typically, that's due to the way they treat others. Right? Like, you and I wouldn't consider Jeffrey Dahmer a good person because he killed people, right? You would consider him a bad person or someone with bad character. Or as with, like, Mother Teresa, you'd consider her a great person, even. Because of how she treated others. So, are you treating others the way God has treated you? And the second question I have under goodness is, are you filling yourself with the things that are considered good? And I covered this thought in another episode as well. I think it's the same one about the mind. But in Philippians... Drop in my Bible. In Philippians... Chapter 4, verse 8, we are told by Paul that finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are the good things. The Christ, sorry, the godly good things that we are to be filling ourselves with so that they're then regurgitated when we encounter other people. All right, moving on to faithfulness. So, I didn't originally have this in my notes, but I guess I'm going to throw it in here. We're already almost 40 minutes into this thing, so whatever. Um, <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, my middle name is Faith. And the reason behind that has to do with God's faithfulness. So, my parents, I was their, I'm their first child, and... I don't remember how far along my mom was when the doctors suspected I had a heart murmur, I believe, or some, some other heart issue from the ultrasound. And so they did 
did a later ultrasound and found out that I actually didn't have a heart murmur, but that I had what's called gastroschisis. Don't ask me how to spell that. I have no clue. Um, and I'll just give you kind of the short rundown of what that is. I won't, you can look it up later if you want, but essentially that it's when it's a very rare birth defect that when the child is forming in the womb, the, for some reason, the skin over the abdominal area closes together before the organs all have chance to settle down within the cavity of the body. And so you're left with organs exposed in the abdominal area. Um, but my middle name, Faith, is a testimony and a tribute to God's faithfulness to my parents who were constantly in prayer along with other family members for my life. This was a very, a very rare and not fully understood birth defect at the time that I was born. Um, it's a little, it's better understood now. So, um, and so that's, so that's part of what I want to talk about with, with faithfulness is that he pulls through, first of all. And the original thought I was going to share with you regarding faithfulness, I'll still share that with you, I guess. This episode can be as long as I want it to be. So, um, the first thought when I was writing up this episode of faithfulness that came to my head was the marital bond between a husband and a wife. And maybe it came to mind because I listened to too many crime podcasts in which this bond is broken, leading to murder. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, this bond between a husband and a wife, it takes two willing participants, both trusting the other and not allowing themselves to wander both physically and mentally. Similarly, our relationship with God requires us to be wholly committed and unwavering to him. And he is also committed to us and unwavers. And that has to happen for there to be growth and prosperity in that relationship with him. But thankfully, when we find ourselves straying and being unfaithful, God never walks away or abandons us. And he's always waiting for us to return. And this is pointed out, uh, God's faithfulness is pointed out in a couple different scriptures that I would like to look at. The first one is all the way at the beginning of the New Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Or sorry, I meant, I said the New Testament, I meant the Old Testament. It's been a long day. Uh, but Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 which says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations.
and then still in the Old Testament. Over to Psalm chapter 119 again. This time verse 90. And the psalmist writes, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Lastly, jumping over... Or no. Nope. My bad. Still in the Old Testament. Lamentations, verse, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. I love this chapter of Lamentations, by the way. Random side note, just thought I'd throw that in there. But chapter 3, verse 22 through 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So us having the fruit of the Spirit... In terms of faithfulness requires that we learn to be faithful to be faithful just as God is faithful to us both to him and to the people that he places in our lives him first obviously um, We are almost done. I'm so sorry about literally being on here talking at you having to hear my voice for almost the entire hour. But gentleness. <laughs> One thing I have learned through um, watch, uh, watching other Christians minister to people and through reading God's word is that harshness of words and actions do not draw others closer to Christ however a gentle spirit does we as Christians we cannot argue someone to salvation that only stirs up anger and distance between them and the Christian community and ultimately Christ. But we can love them to him. That's much more effective. Alright, lastly. Almost done. <laughs> is self-control. Self-control, specifically as in the fruit of the Spirit, it relates to our resistance against temptations thrown at us daily and how we conduct ourselves toward others as well. But we need to learn, and we do, through growing in our relationship with Christ, with Christ. But we need to learn to hate the sin that we used to fall for. And that can be hard because there are some sins that are very addictive. Um, 
and can be very hard to overcome, but they can be overcome. Let me start by saying that they are overcomable. Um, and don't try doing it by your own strength, but you can overcome that sin with God's help. And that can look different for everybody, how you get over that. It, it, and it, re- it depends on the sin, it depends on you, who you are and all that. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but it is overcomable. In 2 Timothy verse, or sorry, chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, okay, where did it go? Paul says, he wrote to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So, if you didn't know, Timothy was essentially a modern-day pastor, um, a young, new pastor at the church. I cannot remember for the life of me off the top of my head what church he was in um but Paul who was I guess you could consider him like the modern day superintendent district superintendent um to Timothy sent him this letter this is the second letter he sent him and he was encouraging Timothy to keep fanning the flame of the Holy Spirit within himself and within his church body, those who were a part of his church. Um, but Paul's also reminding Timothy that God gave him the ability to control his actions. And so I don't know, I didn't really have time when I was writing the, uh, this episode to look into a, into a, what scholars thought, but I don't know if Timothy was maybe struggling with some sin. And we know pastors are not above sin. No Christian is above sin. Um, We all struggle with it at different levels. But I don't know if maybe Timothy was struggling with a sin or some other issue that he felt he had no control over. Um, Or at least self-control over. But he's reminding Timothy that you've got self-control. God gave you the ability to choose. And so... Practicing self-control, whether it's with a sin or simply a bad habit. I know for me, for a long time, the sin I struggled with was lying. And the bad habit that I struggled with was portion control and what and how much I was eating. Um, And through the strength that God gave me, I've been able to eliminate lying and uh, practice self-control with both of those. So that's kind of what I've got on the fruit of the spirit and the eight characteristics of love. 
Um, I do encourage you to take a look at yourself this week and ask yourself if you are producing the fruit of the spirit. If you find that you're not, I it's time for you and God to have a serious heart to heart. I'm going to close out by reading um, John chapter 15. verses 1 through 8. And this is Jesus talking. FYI. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I want to thank you for listening, and remind you that... Wake Up and Grow releases episodes bi-weekly, that's every other Monday. I also encourage you to give Wake Up and Grow a follow on Instagram at WUGPOD, that's W-U-G-P-O-D, and go find Wake Up and Grow on Facebook. Again, I'm Natalie Bittinger, and this has been Wake Up and Grow.